All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Bible Study, Virtual Edition. We have, this is our last one. We have this one, and then next week, we are going back to in-person in the auditorium. I am hopeful that you can join us. Uh, I'm very excited that we are going to do that. And uh, if no one is there, then we'll still be virtual, uh, and I'll be in a big empty auditorium, and it will be just like last March when we were doing church that way. But I believe a lot of you are ready to come back uh, and, and join the discussion in person on Wednesday nights. And so, whoops, we have a little bit of things falling down here. So uh, when we get back together, uh, I think that will benefit us in a lot of ways. So I'm excited to do that. Uh, don't forget about this weekend. Be prayed up about this weekend. Easter is always a huge thing for us. Good Friday service. Uh, I'm, I'm, just anticipating that Good Friday is that a moment where we can in, embrace the moment and fully just let the, the what what that day represents soak into our souls, uh, just to be overwhelmed with the love of Jesus. And as we celebrate communion together, as we hear music, as we hear the story read, just let it permeate us. And uh, Saturday, Easter Jam. Lot, dozens and dozens of, of kids and family members going to be there. Uh, looks like a perfect day for it, and we are excited for that. There's, if you haven't signed up for that, but you want to come or you have a chance to invite somebody to come to it, invite them. We'll we'll deal with the chaos uh, because we want to have those opportunities to have people come out. And then Sunday morning, three services. Invite people to come with you. You never know who is just in desperate need of some excuse to go out of the house, to hear music, to be around nice people, to celebrate Easter, to get back to church, to whatever. And uh, there's a there's statistics out there that say uh, there is a really high chance that if you invite someone to church that they will come with you. So if you're coming, invite someone to come with you and uh, we'll see what God does, even if they don't come this weekend because it's too packed. Maybe it opens up a conversation where you can share your faith with them. Uh, or maybe it opens up another weekend that they can come. But this Sunday, we are going to be sharing the gospel. I, I showed these bookmarks on Sunday. If you were virtual, we had kind of a glitch in the middle of the second service, so you may have see, not seen them. But we're giving out a bookmark on every single seat that has uh, a way of talking about the gospel as the plan of salvation with scriptures on the back. It is portable. It's something you can hand to someone else. Uh, and it's something that you can use yourself in sharing your faith. So we are looking forward to harvest. We are looking forward to planting seeds. We're looking forward to celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. So be there Sunday. And then, like I said, Wednesday night, back in person in the auditorium and picking up in Ephesians 5. Tonight, I love the topic we're going to talk about. And I'm going to ask you to interact a little bit with me. And if, if you will, if you'll post some comments or something like that, we can talk about them a little bit more. I'm just getting myself revved up for that face-to-face uh, -face stuff that we're going to do next week. But last time we were together, we talked about have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather reprove them. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Talked about what that means and talks about. And I, you know, even this week, it just hits me again. The way that that has been interpreted, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. The church, at least in my experience as a Christian over, since I was four years old, so it's you know nearly 50 years now that I've been a believer. I have just seen so many take that as a call to go out and point out everybody's sin or the sin in our culture. We got to point it out. We got to expose it. We got to expose it. And I get how you read that and, and think that, except if you've been following along with this study, 
The whole point of this chapter is not to go around pointing at people or pointing at a culture and saying, sinful, sinful, sinful. The point is to examine ourselves. The point is to bring ourselves into the light, to bring our lives into the light, to live as children of light so that we should expose what we're doing so that, that our Father, our Savior can say, not that, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, this, do this, to bring it into the light. And so much damage has gotten done by the church becoming a mechanism whereby we tell everybody if they're right or wrong. I'm not so concerned with telling people if they're right or wrong, not because I don't think there is a right or wrong, but because I know the answer to right and wrong is not identifying all the, the right and doing that and identifying all the wrong and stop doing that. If that were the answer, the Old Testament would be the end of the story. God would give the law to Israel and that would be it. And then they, they have to keep it. But the law was never successful. It was given to expose sin so that we would realize we need a better answer than perform. We need a better answer than just obey. We need salvation. We are more lost than just a, a few nudges this way or that way can save us or help us. Or we could clean this up or that up or make our society think a little differently here or reject this thing over there. Then we could be okay. No, we won't. We are lost, lost, lost. And we need a Savior. So I want to share the Savior much more than I want to go around exposing sin. And, and like I said, if you actually read this in the flow of logic here, it's not saying, so Christians, take up your spotlights and go shine it on everybody else's sin. It's about looking at your own life and, and wanting to live in the light. So we're going to pick up at verse 14 down to verse 16. I call tonight, wake up. Because I think what Paul says here is, is really uh, very powerful imagery that we can use in a practical way in our lives. So here's what he says. This is why it said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And, and there's more. Obviously, it keeps going on, but I just want to kind of focus in on that. Paul quotes, and if you have an NIV or, or certain versions of the Bible, they'll indent that so that you can see that it's some kind of a stanza. Some, you would almost think that it's a scripture he, he's quoting from. Other times in the scripture, like back in chapter 4, that is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. And that was a, a quote back from Psalm 68. It looks the same, except there's no scripture that says that. There are some things in Isaiah that kind of allude to it, but there's nothing that says that. It's not really a quote from Scripture. What we believe is that it was part of a, a stanza of a, a song that was popular in Christian churches or some kind of poem that people knew about. It was some kind of art form that was well-known and, and, and popular. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So what Paul is saying here, he went from uh, old man, new man, to darkness and light. And now he's talking about wake up, rise from the dead, wake up, sleeper. He's comparing Christians who are stuck in worthless living, fruitless deeds of darkness, to people who are asleep or dead, but, but really asleep. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. What about that imagery makes sense? Think about that with me. What about that imagery of sleeping equaling Someone whose Christian walk has turned into a bunch of nothing, a bunch of empty deeds of darkness, someone who, who isn't in their right mind, someone who isn't thinking straight, someone who isn't acting like themselves, someone who's living for stuff that doesn't make any difference. Paul says, 
That's like being asleep. So think about that. That imagery, Paul, I think that's just really a powerful imagery. You can imagine, like Sunday, I got home and I was tired. I actually had to go back out and, and do a wedding that afternoon, which was awesome. I love doing weddings, but I was tired. And I did not get to take that Sunday afternoon nap that, you know, refreshes you when you are really, really worn out. But I have before and you have before and you know that feeling maybe during taking a nap where uh, you wake up and you're like, what day is this and what's happening and who's here and what's going on and what am I supposed to be doing and what time is it? And you are all disoriented from reality. You were, you were engaged and involved in something in your head. You, you know, weird things happen in dreams or you, you're reliving things that happened before or, or projecting things that could happen in the future, but you're not engaged in the realness that, that what's happening. So you have to reorient yourself in waking up. You have to come back into reality. You have to come back into your life. And sometimes that's difficult. If you've, if you've been, you know, really sound asleep, it's difficult to do that. You could say, well, sleeping is when you are inactive. Sleeping is when you are resting. And Paul's not using those imageries. He's not talking about people who are inactive. He's talking because in dreams, actually, you there's a lot of physiological reactions to the dreams that you're having. If you're having a scary dream, your heart rate goes up, your breathing rate goes up. Times you'll cry out. In your, like It has a physical reaction to your dream. It's not that you're not doing anything. It's just that what you're doing isn't very substantial, real. Even though it's having a real effect on you, it's not doing anything. If you're running away from someone in your dream, you're not really running away from someone. Your body and your adrenaline may be reacting like you are in danger and you're running, but you're not really, and you're not really saving yourself. So you're doing all this stuff in your head, but nothing's really happening. That's the imagery Paul is trying to use here. Paul is trying to talk about how Christians who are asleep are really lost in an alternate reality. They're lost in a, in a dreamlike state where they're spending a lot of their energy and their focus and their time, which is what he's going to get to, therefore make the most of every, every opportunity, redeem the time. You are wasting your time dreaming, sleeping in an alternate reality. You are wrapped up in things that make no difference. You are acting and interacting not in your right mind. Sometimes in your dream, you're not even yourself. You're someone else. You're not even being yourself. You're not living your real life, which is what Paul has been saying this whole time. The idea of sleeping here is referring to you are walking yourself into living like you're in darkness, living like Jesus hasn't saved you, living like those things that were condemning you are something that you want, something that you miss, something that you should pursue, something you should give yourself to, or at least make room for in your life. Remember back in, in verse three, it was let, let there not be even a hint of sexual immorality. It was the kind of idea that I don't want to be overwhelmed by sexual immorality, but I can just keep a little area here because I don't want to lose it altogether. See, Paul says, wake up, wake up, Christian, wake up, sleeping Christian from this stupor, from I want to show you another place that Paul uses that same imagery, which is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it comes right off a passage I speak a lot about at funerals, which is 
we will not all sleep, but we all, uh, well, that's 1 Corinthians 15, but this is um, those, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you we are still alive and our left will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise. A great promise about this, this moment that has been called the rapture, but it's the return of Christ to gather those who are his. And then chapter 5 begins with the day of the Lord. We do not need to tell you about these things because you very well know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It's one of the reasons that in eschatology, people think that there is a gathering of God's people, that rapture idea, that return of Christ for his people, followed by the judgment of God that is represented by the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is a really broad term that talks even about the, the close of the kingdom and Jesus returning to reign and rule. So there's a lot of ambiguity to that. But in this passage, it is, we do not think you should be shocked when the day of the Lord comes or that the day of the Lord is coming. So verse four, he says this, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In other words, you're not asleep. You're not at night. You're not blinded. You're not without light. You see what's happening. It's a little bit of a different topic than what Paul is saying in Ephesians five about living a life that is in, in the deeds of darkness, acting and interacting like you don't see. But here he's saying, as the time draws near for Jesus to return and God's judgment to be poured out on this earth, we should not be surprised because we are not in darkness. We should be awake. Verse five, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Paul says, as, as we go through this life, we should be awake, not asleep. The idea of being distracted, not paying attention, unconscious to what's really happening because we're wrapped up in our minds in another area. We are in our subconscious. And, and he's using that picture there in 1 Thessalonians 5 to say, so wake up because more important things are happening around you in this life and in this world than the stuff that is occupying your mind. It's a really awesome way of talking about it. It is time for the sleeper to wake up, meaning it is time for the sleeping believer to arise and live in the light. So when we apply that to all that we've talked about, it waking up to what realities? I don't think he's saying, wake up to all your problems, wake up to all your stresses, wake up to all your worries, wake up to all the, the, the things you've got to fix, all the the things you've got to work through and solve, all of the tasks you've got to walk off. We don't have to wake up to that. We are wide awake to that. Most of us are really awake to our phone. Most of us are really awake to social media. Most of us are really awake to the people that we care about or the people that we wish would care about us or the people whose approval. We're awake to all kinds of stuff. What's he asking us to wake up to? Wake up to what matters. Wake up to our Lord. Wake up to the light of the gospel and the change that he's made in our lives. Wake up to the fact that we are living for more than this. The idea of waking up is reflected in today's concept of being woke. 
like woke culture. That represents someone who wasn't aware before of some significant issue. And now suddenly they see it all around them. They have been awakened, that, that idea. In a much more profound way, the sleeping Christian that Paul is talking about is someone who's missing everything that matters because they are wrapped up in stuff that's fading away. Many of us, the things that stress us out, the things that pressure us, the troubles that hit us, waking up doesn't mean that those things all vanish or they are unimportant. It just means that we see God is in this. God is for us. God is with us and we can trust him. And in that, we become awake in our testimony. We become awake in our faith. We become awake in our confidence that our God is still a saving God, that the good news is still good news for me. As you are asleep, time passes by and you are not doing anything about it, about the parts of your life that you should be doing something about spiritually. How many of us are so asleep and not inactive asleep? We're so busy being asleep and looking at all the stuff that is in this dream world, for lack of a better term, all these matters of this life that we're missing why we're here. We're missing what this is about. We are being lulled to sleep by diversions, by fears, by conversations that have no purpose and no meaning by evaluations that God is not giving us that we try to place on ourselves for some reason. Like we are just so wound up in so many things and so distracted from who we are. Paul says, wake up, Christians. What if your job is not about money? What if it's not about providing for your family? What if it's not about a career advancement? What if your job is about a calling and it has nothing to do with what the title is on your name or how long you've been there or whether you're getting fairly treated or not fair. What if it's about the light of the gospel shining in a place it would not otherwise shine? Wake up. Wake up to what it could be and should be. What if your church is not about you? What if Sunday morning is not about whether you enjoyed it or not, whether you got something out of it or not, whether you like those songs or not, whether you're mad at something? What if it's not about you? What if your church, what if we woke up to the idea that church is a place to love ridiculously and serve sacrificially? What if we woke, what if the church universally woke up to that? Maybe the power of God would show up in this world in a way we have never imagine? What if your community connections in your family or in your neighborhood or at your school aren't about who you like and who you don't like? What if they're about God putting people in front of you for his kingdom and you being a light in a dark place? Wake up. Wake up. So what does it take for a Christian to wake up? Well, it seems to be a choice that Paul is calling us to. And it's a choice going all the way back to put off the old man and put on the new man. Wake up to what you've been created for. Ephesians 2.10, we, we, we talked about we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. For we are his workmanship, created to do good works. Wake up. You were made for something. Are you living it? Are you living for what you were made for, what you were saved for, what you still are here for? It's a choice. It talks about applying the truths of what happened to us, that we are radically different new creations than what we were born as. 
because we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and we've been made alive and quickened. We've been forgiven by the grace by the grace of God. And in chapter four, the unity of the body of Christ, we have been called into this community with one another. Not that I can meet everyone's needs. I can't. I think sometimes there are folks who expect that I can just be there for everyone. I can't. But we as the family of God, we are called to it. We are called to be a community. Christ will shine on you. Arise, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. As we wake up, he will provide all the light we need. He will direct our paths. He will begin to consciously show us what we were missing while we were unconscious spiritually. And when we do, we are not that tempted by the things the world offers because we're awake. (laughs) What seemed so sensical in a dream now seems ridiculous. What seemed like it, like you describe a dream to a friend and you're like, I don't know why this, but suddenly I was a Viking and I had a, a blow, blow gun and I was blow darting. Like it's all ridiculous. It may, but in your dream, it felt like it made sense. The idea of waking up is that as the light of Christ shines on our lives, some of the things that we were just going along with or living in or pursuing or wanting or desiring, suddenly they make no sense. They are seen as empty. They are seen as pointless. They are seen as diversions. They are seen as traps. They are seen as entanglements because we're awake. And when we wake up, we come back to what really matters, what we value. We value our salvation. We value our election. We value our security. We value our inheritance in Jesus. In chapter one, we value the life we've been given. We value the forgiveness that we've received. We, re- we value the unity of the body of Christ. We value things in the body of Christ that are relationally powerful, supernaturally powerful, like humility, grace, gentleness, perseverance, patience, all the things that... Ugh, I don't want those, except they are absolutely necessary for everything that we are about as the body of Christ. That's how we wake up. That's how we wake up. And can you imagine the impact if the church responded to Paul's call, wake up, sleeper. Wake up. You're missing it. You're missing your purpose. You're missing your calling. And the days are slipping by and the moments are slipping by. So what he says in verse 15, be very careful then how you live. Pay attention to how you are living. I'm not talking about living high stress, living high shame, living high guilt. I'm not talking about, oh no, I didn't do enough. Saying, if we are in the light, we should make decisions like we can see. So he's saying, watch your steps. Make deliberate choices about what you are going to spend, the resources that you have, where you are going to direct them. Watch carefully how you walk. We are not sleepwalking thinking that we're walking somewhere we aren't and dreaming while we're doing it, totally disconnected from reality. As people who are awake, we are aware of the dangers. We are aware of the missteps. We are aware of the direction we're actually going. We're not in a dream thinking we're going one way and not really going that way. We want to use our moment and the light to great effect. So then Paul begins, this, not this. He talks about not this, but that. And first one is in verse 15. So not as unwise, but as wise. Not this, but that. Verse 17, not foolish, but understanding the will of the Lord. Verse 18, not drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit. So there are these kind of not but, not but things. The first one is, do not act unwise, but be wise. The difference here refers clearly to dark versus light, asleep versus awake. 
the idea that we actually are living with the wisdom of God, the fear of the Lord, that, the, that is the beginning of wisdom. Not so much talking about, I've got wisdom to figure out all the grand mysteries of life and these hard problems. I've got wisdom to figure out the... It's talking about wisdom in, I walk like life is what life is. And I am who I am. I walk like that. I walk wisely. And if I do, what he says is, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. Boy, I'll tell you what. This weekend is an opportunity. Easter is an opportunity. But so is every day of our lives. There are opportunities around us all the time. The, the literal wording here is buy back the time, redeem the time, which points to the clock is ticking for all of us. I don't know when I'm going to be done with my time on this earth. You don't know when you're going to be done with your time. But we know we have less time today than we had yesterday. The clock is ticking. And so what he's asking us to do is acknowledge that in the choices we make, to make wise choices, how I spend my limited time, not to act like I'm unlimited, not to expect myself or be frustrated when I can't be unlimited in my ability to give time to everything and everyone, to all good causes or all good ideas or all the people who want it. No, you can't. You are not unlimited. So be wise redeem the time, recognize that you have a limited amount of time. The words buy back the time here is a, probably a metaphor for use your time well. That's why the NIV translates it, make the most of every opportunity. Take full advantage of the opportunities that God gives you. Now, this is not about ambition. This is not about, well, when God gives you a moment, you got to step into it because God is trying to elevate you. No, he is not. God is trying to save lost souls. God is trying to transform us into citizens of his kingdom who live for what matters, people who are awake spiritually. And so the opportunities that we have, those are moments that I could use for selfish, selfish purposes or I can ignore because I don't see the value in them. I don't see the value in a moment. God gives me a moment that I could sacrifice for someone. Ah, why would I do that? Well, they've been mean to me. Why would I do? Or I don't even know them. Why would I? So I, I just look down on the opportunity instead of saying, hey, I want to make the most of that opportunity. I want to take this moment of time where God has rolled out the red carpet for me to be the part of the body of Christ that represents him to this situation and this person. And it's not always like these uh, out of the blue. You know, I bumped into someone at Wawa who was having a bad day and then I told them about it. It's not that. Opportunities can be regular parts of your life. The person that you sit next to at school or work, the next door neighbor who happens to be outside while you're outside, like there, these could be normal, regular patterns. Your mother that you keep talking to or your children that you keep trying to share Jesus with or whatever, like these could be regular patterns and making the most of the opportunity is not pressurizing it. Let me make sure that this has the full impact. It's being awake to it and listening and watching for the light of Christ to shine on us so that he can lead us in that and we can recognize why we're there. Remember what he told the, the apostles in Matthew was, when you stand before the tribunals and they ask you for an answer, don't give any thought to what you're going to say. The words will be given to you. I think the apostles were very aware that this was a moment for them, that they had to answer something. And Jesus said to them, if you're aware of it, just rest in the fact by your faith that I will give you the words to say. 
think that's very similar to making the most of every opportunity. It's not so much about me having some big strategy and, and having the right words to say. It's about being, me being awake to why I might be here and not getting lost in the daily frustrations or, or, or misgivings or, or just physical limitations or whatever of this moment. I'm here for the kingdom of God. And God has given me an opportunity. So they are given for a reason. God is not just putting opportunities in front of you and like, I hope you figure something out to do with it. God has a purpose in giving you an opportunity. Are we making the most of it? Not for ourselves, not for our comfort, not for our satisfaction, certainly not for things like revenge or bitterness or judgmentalness or pride. Like not, we're not making the most of opportunities when we are walking in darkness. We're making the most of opportunities when we walk in the light as children of light, when we are awake spiritually and we live for the kingdom of God. This is because the days are evil. And when he says the days are evil, what he's talking about is that the world has an abundance of godlessness. It will never run out. If you have some idea that we need to, as a church or as, a, as the people of God, beat back the darkness, we need to put them down in the... The world has an abundance of evil and we will never beat it out. They've chosen it, many of them, over and over again in, in very conscious ways. What we are is people who step into the power of God. When God gives you an opportunity, He also gives you the power. He gives you the Spirit to direct your paths and He gives you that moment to be a peace in a process. A lot of times, when you are taking an opportunity to make the most of it, nothing happens seemingly to you. But if you will be faithful, God will use your part along with 12 other people's parts and use it for his kingdom. It teaches us to walk by faith. It keeps us away from the idea that I'm so magnificent in the kingdom of God. Look at me. I'm outperforming everyone else. I don't even know what God's doing. It keeps me dependent on him to be the one who is directing the whole orchestra, the whole production. God is the one doing it. And so I just come and try to be faithful because I don't, I don't want to be unaware that the world is full of evil. I certainly don't want to be a sleeping Christian who joins in with their wickedness. But at the same time, God is at work in this world to bring redemption. So when God puts an opportunity, I want to be awake so that I can step into it. I want to be awake so I can see the hand of God in my life. I want to live and walk by faith so that that opportunity is used by the power of God through me for the purpose that God put it in my life. Then we are awake. What Paul says there, I think, is just so uniquely powerful by saying, wake up, Christian. And I pray that this week, as we go towards Easter, that God tells us where we're asleep. That God wakes us up. Maybe it is because we've been living in ways we shouldn't be living. We've been participating in the deeds of darkness, greed or immorality or, or empty words. or There's all kinds of things it could be. But maybe it's because we've just been oblivious to the way God wants to use us. We've been feeling pointless and purposeless, discouraged, and we just can't see because we're asleep. We haven't been in prayer in a way that God asks us to be in prayer, to go to Him in faith 
asking with, with faith and believing and trusting, not wavering and doubting, but going, God, I know you have a point and a, a purpose. I don't know what it is, but I trust you. So use me. Use me in this. This week leading into Easter is a week where we're reminded that Jesus was fully awake spiritually. And as he went on this pathway towards the cross, he wasn't freaked out. He wasn't unsettled. Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured it because he knew this was purposeful. You and I face all kinds of trouble and trial in our lives. Are we able to endure it saying, God, I don't know what this is about, but I know it's an opportunity. I'm going to be faithful and walk and live by faith. And I'm going to trust that you're going to use it for your purpose and your plan. And if you want me to say something, if you want me to see something, you'll show me. But if you want me to just walk by faith and be faithful and trust with confidence that you are doing good, I'll do that. I think there are lots of opportunities that are going to be really obvious. And I think there are lots of opportunities that we'll never understand what God's doing until we get to heaven. Either way, let's be Christians who are awake spiritually, seeing what's going on and what God is asking us to. And let's make the most of every opportunity he gives us in the power of God. All right, I am looking forward to seeing all of you on Sunday, whichever service you come to. I am looking forward to seeing many of you on Good Friday and at Easter Jam on Saturday morning. So whenever I see you next, I will be excited to see you. And we are looking forward to celebrating a great weekend together. See you soon.